Hello, this is CJ, the editor. We are very excited for you to hear this episode, but wanted to give you a heads up. Between timestamp 3001 and 3025, there is a supernatural animal attack featuring some audio gore. This is not intended for all audiences. Thank you for listening, and remember, don't feed the cryptids. If you are traveling across America, you might, in the heat of the late morning, at the edge of a large city and an extensive forest, come across a large, hand-painted sign. It will only be there if you aren't in a hurry. You will only notice it if you have no place in particular where you need to be. The sign features one word, and no matter your history with the type of entertainment it advertises, you will be intrigued. If you are lucky, you will continue on thinking a sign that old couldn't refer to something that still exists. Unfortunately, it still does, but only if you aren't looking for it. You are following a sign marked Zoo. Jaws Wide Shut. <laughs> it's Michaela, October 31st, 2018. I got around a bit early, but, well, it's Halloween. I've been going more through the Lydia file box. She's got quite an interesting collection. Mysterious animal corpses, missing persons, reports of towns that don't exist, and somewhere between the alien abductions and the J. Edgar shenanigans, Lydia thought she proved a government conspiracy to cover up the supernatural. Bum bum bum! Lydia linked together dozens of stories. Some are pretty out there, and some are just... Well, in a perfect world, they would have led to a few firings. Some of them are hundreds of pages long, like the agent was trying somewhere in the reporting to find answers. They knew something was wrong, but they just couldn't, no matter how much they investigated, find the truth to any mystery. Others are, well, this. The Skeleton Parade of Sweetsboro. Case file 03-NK-0001. Date opened November 1st, 1938. Incident date October 31st, 1938. Witness, the residents of Swedesboro, New Jersey. Recording agent, Hadley Morell. The Bureau was called in to investigate a possible military incursion in the town of Swedesboro, New Jersey. As the sun was setting on the night of October 31st, 1938, a half a dozen school children dressed as ghouls and goblins reported a peculiar sight in the local graveyard. According to locals, there was a mighty noise going on in the cemetery, and then a fully armed militia walked out of the gates about an hour after sunset. 
With all the hullabaloo in Europe right now, the agency in Washington wanted it investigated, even if the agency in Newark was having to split its attention between this and all of that hubbub about the Martian radio program. The agency's fear of a military attack on U.S. soil is palpable. The locals all gave the following information. 1. A great noise started in the cemetery at sundown. 2. One hour later, after many townspeople had gathered, a militia of at least 100 armed men walked, four abreast, out of the St. Joseph Cemetery and down Paulsboro Road. 3. The militia was armed with Revolutionary War muskets and dressed in tattered scraps of aged, decaying uniforms. 4. The militia was composed entirely of skeletons. 5. They walked down Paulsboro Road, then down Kings Highway through the center of town. 6. They left town on Kings Highway, still moving in march formation. 7. They walked down a gravel road with a large purple sign marked Zoo, and after about two minutes, nobody could hear them marching anymore. 8. Nobody had seen that sign before. 9. The cemetery was left a mess, with graves dating back to 1776 having been found exhumed and destroyed. 10. Nobody was hurt. Upon cross-referencing the stories of various townspeople, these ten things were pretty consistent. At this point, we had become convinced that we were not dealing with some radical revolutionaries gathering a bunch of guns and trying to overthrow the government. Nor a submarine sneaking in a legion of goose-stepping archies. But now we were concerned about fascists putting hallucinogens in the water supply. We are calling in the scientists to see what they can find. This case is one of the first assigned to the Newark, New Jersey office, and it's listed as Destruction or Overthrow of the Government by Skeletons. Lydia sure knew how to pick them. This is just... Beckett? What? What are you? I'm Frankenstein. Yeah, but why is... Why is Frankenstein in my office? Frankenstein isn't in your office. I am Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, that joke would work better if you didn't just botch the delivery. You just said you were. I never said I was good at jokes. Yet you try. It's, your dedication is inspiring. But why is Frankenstein's monster in my office? I have to go to a party later, and it had to be a couple's costume. And you, being eight foot tall and kind of a downer, Frankenstein was a pretty obvious pick. I will have you know that I am the life of the party. My fraternity didn't call me back at the shouter for nothing. You shouted in a library, like, once, didn't you? How does everybody guess that? Anyway, my wife is going as the bride of Frankenstein, so... I think Rachel's too tall to be Nancy Reagan. Oh. Now who's got the jokes? Oh, I'm just getting started. What about you? Any plans tonight? Yeah, I have to go to a party with my girlfriend's co-workers. She's decided that we are dressing up as Daphne and Velma. Not really my thing, like, at all, but, you know. It's nice to hear that you're doing something other than sitting down here with your files for once. Harsh. Not entirely wrong, but kind of harsh. 
Earlier, I found something not in my precious files that you might get a kick out of. Want to hear it? Mm, sure. Why not? I expose the beast of Valenbane Manor by Titanium Violet. Welcome back to my longtime readers and just a warm welcome to any newcomers. As you may know, I recently visited Valenbane Manor located just outside the now defunct Enfield, Massachusetts. The goal of this trip was, of course, to find definitive evidence of the Bat Squatch. I'm sorry. The what? I know what you're likely thinking. Titanium, isn't that a very dangerous game you're playing? The Bat Squatch is known for its violence. And you're absolutely right. It does have a reputation for viciousness, and this is a very risky thing for me to be doing. But that's a risk I'm willing to take if it means getting to the bottom of this. Plus, while I understand the concern, the previous creatures I have encountered have not been nearly as threatening or aggressive as some had believed. The Minahune was downright friendly. Of course, I brought a crew with me to the manor to aid in the investigation. As I did not know what I was likely to find, I brought along my two paranormal investigators, Stacy Charlton and Marley Bassett, who I have worked with before, a medium by the name of Eric Mahoney, and, of course, my right-hand man, truth enthusiast and brilliant cryptozoologist Theodore Pike, best known as Crypt-Ted. What in God's name is a cryptozoologist? Is this titanium person just making things up? You, you can't just... You can't make up fields of study. That's... It's nothing. Hold on, let me look it up. Oh, Jesus. I guess Creep Ted isn't the only one working in this field. You know, maybe if I spoke to someone who, like, studies this... No, Michaela, you can't. That's the line where this becomes actually crazy. So, do you talk to yourself a lot? Or... Once at the manor, we did our usual setup of paranormal hunting equipment. Motion detectors, cameras, EMF readers, etc. <coughs> Not real. Crypt Ted and I attached our personal cameras to ourselves, and we all set out to investigate the building and grounds while it was still light out. We hoped we would luck out and find a sleeping lair, but of course, he did not make it that easy on us. Exploring Valenbane Manor has always been a bucket list item, and I was very excited to experience it in person. There is some truly fascinating, if a bit murky, history to it. But even so, this place is often overlooked. I mean, between the stories surrounding its construction and subsequent occupation, combined with the fact that it's so close to the ghost town of Enfield, you would think there would be more interest, but no, despite being a hotbed of urban legend, it gets very little media attention. It all started in the late 1800s when Ivan Antonov moved his family over from Romania and started building a home on a plot of land that did not, in the beginning, even belong to him. Very little was known about the family from the time they settled, all the way up until their deaths, but there were some very interesting things documented. First, there was the fact that during the construction of the rather sizable home, many of the construction workers came down with a mysterious illness, and everyone who was afflicted ended up dying. Suspicious. Mm, this was, what, the 1800s? That wasn't a mysterious illness. That was tuberculosis. Um, after construction, there were, of course, more rumors. The family had a number of people that seemed to come and go from the house. All Eastern European visitors, never anybody from any of the nearby towns. And those visitors were as hesitant to interact with others as the Antonovs were. 
due to the private and mysterious nature of the family, suspicion started to grow. There were many theories about the family, including the idea that they were vampires. This likely stemmed from their heritage and reclusive nature. The Antonovs moved into their home before construction was completed, and building continued for over a decade. Just three years after the manor was complete, tragedy struck. Ivan, his wife, his daughter, and one of his two sons were brutally murdered, torn apart by what appeared to be a beast and drained of all blood. There was a second son that was never found. After the murders and an investigation, as well as reports from the house staff, it was discovered the second boy was not a boy at all, and many believed not the offspring of Ivan Antonov either. You see, the Antonovs were so secretive and tucked away because their son was a bat squatch, which is, of course, the creation that comes from the unholy union between woman and vampire, cursed by Satan himself for being an abomination. And I, Titanium Violet, am going to meet him. Go on. After we took the daylight to explore our surroundings, we sat down at dusk with our medium Eric to see if we could contact any long-deceased members of the Antonov family. There was very little to be gained from this, however, as the Antonovs did not seem to be hanging around all that much. We did pick up some movement on the EMF recorder in the room, and Marley did notice that one of the motion sensors went off, but that was all. That night was when the real fun began. Crypt Ted and myself split off from the rest of the group to try to find the Bat Squatch's lair, mostly focusing on the basement. Using my previous knowledge of castles and manors, I began searching for some kind of secret entrance or passage. Naturally, I discovered one pretty quickly and the mechanism to get through it. The only downside was that only one person was able to get through it at a time, leaving Crypt, Ted, and I in different rooms. Right as I got through, I found my jackpot staring right at me. The room was relatively small, completely dark except for my flashlight and headlamp. And there, at the end of it, coming out of a coffin, was a very handsome man. I was shocked. This was not at all what I expected. He looked at me and said, You are not here to hurt me, are you? It would deeply pain me if you wanted to do me harm. I assured him that I would not bring any harm to him and that I was looking for the fabled Bat Squatch. What are you doing here? I asked, wary of what he may be up to. I could, at this point, only assume that he was a very good-looking vagrant that found a safe place to sleep. The man started walking closer, almost in reaching distance, and readers, I can't believe it. I was absolutely rooted to the floor. Just when his face was inches from mine, the passage opened again and Crypt Ted stumbled in. Titanium, back away, he shouted, but I couldn't. I was entranced. Ted, don't worry about it, he won't hurt us, I assured him. It was then that the man in front of me smiled, revealing rows of sharp, uneven teeth. Its smile did not faze me. Ted picked up a rock from the floor and threw it at the man, who hissed and then changed form to look like... Well, he looked like me all of a sudden, and turned to Crypt Ted. Theodore, you do not want to kill me, do you? I am your friend, after all. Just like that, the creature was different, and its hold on me had broken. Crypt Ted didn't fall for it, though. He just kept yelling at the creature that it was a liar. 
It tried to walk toward him, but he kicked it in its shin and dodged off to the side. That's when it happened. The creature dropped all disguise and we saw it for what it was. Bat Squatch. Crypt Ted started screaming while I radioed the team for backup, but I just got static. The Bat Squatch flew up and started making an awful screeching sound that made it nearly impossible to think. My only thought was that this is how I was going to die, torn apart by bat talons. It was then that I steeled myself, ready to at least take this thing down with me, and the strangest thing of all happened. The Squatch, from up near the ceiling, said, Please just leave me be. I am tired of hurting people. I understood then. The Bat Squatch isn't a monster or an indiscriminate killer. It's just a very old and very lonely creature that has had to make difficult choices to keep itself safe. I asked him what happened to the Antonovs, and he wailed, a high-pitched, mournful sound, before explaining. My mother conceived me during a tryst with a creature who was not the man who raised me, and I was cursed from then on. My parents fled Europe to escape the scandal. My father decided I would be raised as his own with the other children, and that the family would pretend my mother's indiscretion had never happened. It was not possible, though. I was brought into this world looking like this, a monster. I can change form if I'm very afraid or feel very threatened, but it takes a great toll on me, and I cannot maintain it. We had to live like recluses so no one would discover the horrible truth about me. I hated it, and I grew to resent my family. They had to live a half-life because of my monstrous condition, and my siblings constantly reminded me of it. One night, I overheard them talking, saying that if they were only to slay me, they could truly live once again. They could rejoin the world and be with others more like them. I flew into a blind rage then. I tore my brother and sister to tatters before I knew what I was doing. Mother and father came to see what the commotion was about, and in my anger and my sorrow, I killed them too. I fled so I would not be caught and killed when the servants eventually went to the constables. It was months before I could safely return to my home. I have sequestered myself to this, my self-made prison, and the surrounding woods where I will spend eternity atoning for what I have done and what I am. At this point, the creature was hunched over on the floor, so Ted and I looked at each other before doing the most natural thing in the world. We wrapped our arms around it in a hug. A hug. Michaela, have you been down here all day reading urban legend fan fiction? Yes, I know what fan fiction is. Do you not have anything else to do? You have all of these cold cases and... Wait, wait a minute. Is this a note from Lydia Hanover? Do you know who Lydia Hanover is? Agent Lydia Hanover. She had your job about, um, 15 years ago. She was very good at it until she got fired. Agent Hanover became convinced half of the cases down here were all connected. She believed there was a government conspiracy or something. She stopped doing the cases she was assigned and focused entirely on finding the answer to the big conspiracy. Agent Kespar, how much time have you spent on this? I've been working on this since mid-September. 
Six weeks? This was concerning a month ago. Don't you think it's gotten a little out of hand? Well, Gideon gave me this case in Missouri to look into. And did you find any answers? Well, not yet. I'm worried, Agent Kespar, that if you continue down this imaginative but unnatural path, you're going to find yourself in the same position as former Agent Hanover. You were in this place to solve cold cases. If we wanted somebody to read files and move around boxes, we could get any nosy file clerk in the district. I am doing my job, Beckett. I'm solving cold cases. Is solving cold cases what you call sitting in a basement, reading about whatever your monster of the week is? I'm not some TV FBI agent, Beckett. I deal with more than one monster a week. That's not the point, and you know it. One investigation in Missouri, and with the bare minimum of reference, you connect it to five other cases? Really, it's probably closer to 20 by now. You're too good at what you do to waste your time connecting shadows. If Gideon finds out what you're doing down here when you should be investigating cold cases, you'll be turning in your badge next. Are you giving me a direct order to drop this? When you are supposed to be investigating cold cases, then you need to investigate cold cases. If you have to do this, do it off the clock. We aren't paying you to hunt monsters. Why don't you eat a Starburst and lighten up a little? I'm doing my job even if you don't see that. If you really think I'm in the wrong here, then you can take it to Gideon yourself. I'm not going to do that, Michaela. I just don't want to see your name at the top of a 151. I'll remind you, Beckett, that one of the cases I'm trying to solve is one that you couldn't. And I'll remind you, Kespar, that investigation has made my life very, very difficult. I don't want the same thing to happen to you. Walking away didn't make it any easier, did it? You already told me it keeps you up at night even after 22 years. You didn't hear it. When it happens to you and it keeps you up at night, you can't turn back then. You need to step back now. This costs people their jobs. This costs people their sanity. Look, Agent Beckett, I, I took an oath to help people, to uncover the truth, and that's what I'm going to do. I'd really like your help on this. I can't help you. And I can't cover for you. But I won't turn you in either. Thanks. It's really all I can ask for, I guess. Have fun at your party tonight. You too. Now get out of my office before the peasants get torches and pitchforks. That could have gone better. Okay. Uh, case file 272-CG-21455. Mandrake Circle Underground Film Festival. Date opened November 28th, 2009. Final file October 1st, 2014. Evidence item, personal wire recording. Recording agent, Tom Windsor.
This isn't a file, it's just an evidence bag. One piece of evidence, an audio recording CD, and a note. Let's see... Uh, note, as part of our investigation into the Thrackmorton crime family, Chicago Field Office's Vice Division uncovered that Charles Thrackmorton is a key benefactor in an organization known as the Mandrake Circle. Through much investigation and hard work, we were able to plant Agent Tom Windsor into the organization as an undercover agent. On the night of January 10th, 2013, Agent Windsor attended a Mandrake Circle event. In a previously unknown section of tunnels under Chicago, more than likely used to bootleg during Prohibition, the Circle had set up a screen and film projector. The event was lit only by a few candles, and the identities of almost all who attended were unable to be discerned. Masked waiters provided refreshments, and then those in attendance were asked to take seats in the theater. Agent Windsor identified known gun smuggler Efrem Sokolov and exotic animal smuggler and poacher Alex Trisha Jatoba, and most disturbing of all, Chicago real estate tycoon Ronald Blythe, but no others. The following is a section of audio from the body wire Windsor was wearing. It is of a film shown, described by the host as a rare find from the South. We will be starting in just a moment. Please take your seat. Who's there? That's just me. Popcorn? It's been a time. How's your mama and them? Good as can be. Nasty stuff going down around here. That true, that true. What you got there? Got me one of them GoPros. It's a little camera I take video while I hunt. It ain't gator season. What you hunting? Rigaroo. Not familiar. That critter or varmint? Neither. Something my Grammy told stories about. It's a man who done been cursed by a witch, and every night for a moon he turns into a wolf man and preys on his friends and family. Sounds unsavory-like. Makes a man a monster, and that monster done killed my Uncle Jefferson. So I'm gonna return the favor. Need some help? I got my old Weatherby in the truck. You any good of a shot? Catfish told me I'm the best in the parish. Well, catfish wouldn't do a man wrong. Get your gun and let the good times roll. Why are we out before it gets dark? The way I figure it, it's gotta know what it does, or at least suspect. So it goes someplace and thinks it won't do no harm, hunt for a night in the woods, draw less attention than turn into a timber wolf and tear apart your own house. You sure know a lot about these rutabagas. Rougarou? Yeah, that. Sunsets in less than 20 minutes? Now that I've shown you all the trap? I know how to avoid them. And I need to give you these. What are these? Silver bullet. You mean to tell me you melted down some colors like kinds into bullets? Nah, that's how you kill a werewolf. Bullet of solid silver. I thought we were hunting ruta rheumatism. A rougarou. It's like a werewolf. Now wait a minute. Do you even know how these 
Rochambeaus, or do you just know about werewolves? Are they the same thing? It's not like I can just look up Rougarous in the Farmer's Almanac. They supernatural. So you got us out here, hunting a creature that ain't your uncle. And we don't even know if the weapons or even traps are gonna hurt it? I can't just let my uncle's death go on a bench. It's this damn fool's crusade what probably got your uncle killed. Jefferson was just like you. Always going off to market before he ever milked a cow. Hmm. We must be somewhere near that new zoo they're putting in. Hope they got giraffes. I love giraffes. New zoo? I didn't hear about it. There's a new sign up by the church. Nah, that sign's got to be old. All the paint's near peeled off. Wait, I didn't know you knew my uncle. Hmm? You said I was just like my uncle. I didn't think you knew him. Knew him? Ain't nobody in this parish that didn't know Jefferson. He was smart and always helpful. Volunteered to help me put a new roof on my mama's house. He was a good friend, best meal I ever ate, and a good listener. What did you just say? He was a good listener. I always valued that. Nah, you said he was the best meal you ever ate. Oh, sugar. Well, I guess the wolf's out of the bag now. Popcorn, um, when did your hands get so long? Better for gator snatching. And w when's the last time you shaved? No need. Keeps me warm at night. And do you have all your original teeth? Ah! Nothing like home country cooking. Beckett's right. I can't go back. Created by C.J. Hausch, Connie Kitts, and Cody Phillips. The voice of Michaela Kespar is Connie Kitts. The voice of Bo is Shay Smith. The voice of Popcorn is Wooly. The voice of Alexander Beckett is Nathan Gandy. Original music by Nathan Gandy. Please visit us on Twitter at, at @zoopodcast. If you want to hand money to strangers, please consider donating. Go to patreon.com slash zoopodcast. A special thank you to our patrons. Our Spooklight sponsors, Yzma Hecht and Lucille Valentine. And our Bigfoot benefactor, Paul Matteo. Zoo Fact The Goat Man is one of the most fiercely territorial cryptids. When removed from its natural habitat, or when its natural habitat is destroyed, it can take years to readjust. This is why environmental protection 
and protection of historical landmarks such as bridges is so important. <laughs> For Patreon subscribers, you can listen in real time as friendships dissolve and someone loses their life. Between 3001 and 3025, 